uh, really a father in the faith share with us this morning. I just, just a brief recap. We've been going through this series on the generous heart of God and what it means to our lives. And his, when his generosity overflows in us, how it, one, releases us from the stress, often uh, stress related to uh, the Christmas season where we're stressed about money or we feel stressed about resource or finances. God releases us from that stress when we come under his heart of generosity and, and receive it. And one of the ways that I believe, generous, and, and I say I believe because it's in the scripture, and we're going to hear about it a little bit more this morning, but as we're generous toward, generous in our heart toward the people of God, meaning his uh, covenant people, Israel, that as we're generous towards him and what God's plan and purposes are with them, that it has uh, an unlocking ability of blessing over our lives, but it's going to begin to shape the way that, uh, shape the opportunity for the world to know Jesus in a greater way. And so uh, there is, uh, if there is an authority on this issue, or uh, the, uh, the truth of Israel, it is Papa Don Finto. He's here with us this morning just to begin to share, uh, one, his heart. He is the founder of Caleb Company, which is a ministry uh, to uh, Israel, to, for the Jewish people to see Christ as their Messiah. We love that ministry. It's one that we love being in partnership with. But maybe more than anything, Papa Don is a father, not just to this church, but he's a father to the city. And I would, and in fact, I would dare say there's probably like 30 churches that claim you as father to, to their church. And that's okay. We just, we're going to claim you first uh, if we want to get into that tug of war. But anyway, we're so thankful to have uh, Don Fitty, would you guys help me welcome him up as he shares with us this morning? Well, you stay around a while, and, and you, uh, they start calling you Papa, you know, so, and uh, all that kind of stuff. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be home with you. Feel that this is one of my homes away from home, so. Uh, you know, worship was, thank you. What, how good, and. While we were worshiping, I thought of something that I about a month had grabbed hold of in a depth that I don't think I'd done it, I don't remember doing it about a month or two ago. I was pondering Jesus praying at the, in the garden and his sweat became as drops of blood. And I thought, you know what? He wasn't just praying with that kind of depth because he was gonna die on a cross. Lots of people died on the cross. It wasn't the actual piercing of the cross that was the weight that died. It was the fact that he knew that he was going to have to bear the sin of everybody who's ever lived from Adam until eternity. They were all going to be on his body on the cross. That's what he said. Is there any other way, Father? Can, is there any other way? He knew it wasn't because that's why he came. But that was the weight that was on him that night. So, yes, let's worship him. Let's worship him. Well, uh, yeah, Keith had asked that I do this. And uh, the interesting thing is, yes, I've been walking in this for a long time. And more and more in my relationship with Israel and why it's important. But to, to, have to, but to try to say, what do I say to somebody? In fact, uh, Todd and I just got back from Sri Lanka Todd Macau and I just got back from Sri Lanka Monday night, and the reason we were over there was because we had met some Sri Lankan pastors here in Nashville, two that had come through, one that's uh, head of a Bible college there in Colombo, and they had invited us over, and then there was a Sri Lankan sister in the Messianic congregation in, Na in Memphis who was born, reared in Sri Lanka, and so she sort of orchestrated the whole thing, so we had... We, had, uh, we were a divine proclamation while we were there because there were five ladies from Memphis, two Jewish ladies that are in the Messianic congregation, the Sri Lankan lady with her daughter, and then another lady that was a radical flag worshiper, which was just wonderful. I mean, she was handing flags to little kids and everything during worship was great. And then there was, there was uh, Todd, Macau, and I. So we were intergenerational. We were... We were men and women together, strong women of God and men together. We were Jew-Gentile together. We were old and young together. So we are, we are just our presence was a proclamation there. But that's what we were there for because they had asked us to come. So we spoke in Bible colleges and churches and all over. Just got back, back Monday night. But to, to, but to try to distill with you 
So Lord, help me know how to go here. And I, I, I wanted you to have something in your hand when you left so that you could check this out by yourself. And so I, that's why I had that handout. And I won't go necessarily just right straight through it, but I wanted you to have some scriptures. Obviously, I couldn't put all the scriptures in there that relate, but I have a scripture that relates to some of it. But before I do that, one of the things that I want to say, and I, I didn't bring this to talk it, but in this book that Ann Severance edited with me, in the back of the book, there are quotations from past generations of the saints on Israel and the Jewish people. And I thought it'd be good for me just to quote you some, to read you some things that people began to say in the 16th century. They began to say that Israel is going to go back to the land and they're going to come back to the Lord before the Lord returns. They said this on the basis of Scripture. So I, I, so it, I thought it would be a powerful way to start. So, for example, in the Geneva Bible, which was published in 1560, the marginal notes on Romans 11:26, which says all Israel will be saved, says, He sheweth, Old English, He sheweth that the time shall come that the whole nation of the Jews, though not every one particularly, shall be joined to the church of Christ. 1560. And then the comment on Romans 11:15. The Romans 11:15 says, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So Romans 11:15, their, their comment, 1560 was, the Jews now remain, as it were, in death for lack of the gospel. But when both they and the Gentiles shall embrace Christ, the world shall be restored to a new life. Now that was that was a, there are a whole bunch of them, but I just want to read a few of them. Robert Layton, in a sermon on Isaiah 60, verse 1, delivered in January of 1642. Now, Isaiah 60, 60, verse 1 says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is rising upon you. Darkness is over the world, and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will appear over you. That's what it says. And here's, the, here's his comment. Undoubtedly, that people of the Jews shall once more be commanded to arise and shine, and their return shall be the riches of the Gentiles. And that shall be a more glorious time than ever the church of God did yet behold. He's learned about our time. I mean, we're living in an amazing prophetic fulfillment, and I, I personally don't believe there's, I, I don't think there's any other time in history I'd rather be alive than today. I'd rather be alive today than when Jesus was here. I used to think I'd, rather, I'd like to be there when he was here, but I don't know where I would have been. I don't know whether I would have been in the crowd. I don't know where I would have been. Now I know where I am. And, I, and we're living in the time just prior to his return. Okay, then Jonathan Edwards, very well-known name, lived from 1703 to 1758. This is what he said in, in about Romans 11:12 12, and 15. Romans 11:12 12 is one that I quote every time I'm here. If their riches, if their, if their transgression means riches for the world, 11:12 means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? That's Romans 11:12, And then 15 is, is the, if their rejection is. So here's what uh, Jonathan Edwards said. Though we do not know the time in which the conversion of Israel, see, I wouldn't call it conversion because it's really they're going back to their own God. But, in a, but it is a conversion as well. We don't know when that will come to pass. Yet this much may be determined by Scripture, that it will be before the glory of the Gentile part of the church shall fully be accomplished because it is said that their coming in shall be life from the dead to the Gentiles. They saw that. You see, what, you see why I'm saying this to you? These guys saw what we're living in generations ago, hundreds of years ago. And then, here, okay, here's the one from Charles Spurgeon. In an in a 1855 volume of sermons, he said, I think we do not attach sufficient importance to the restoration of the Jews. We do not think enough about it. But certainly, if there's anything promised in the Bible, it's this. The day shall yet come when the Jews, who were the first apostles to the Gentiles, the first missionaries to us who were afar off, shall be gathered in again. Until that shall be, the fullness of the church's glory can never come. Matchless glory, no matchless benefits to the world are bound up with the restoration of Israel. Their gathering in shall be life from the dead. Okay, that I thought just as a background so you know that we're not on some strange thing here. We're on thing, something which, which 
God has prophesied and people picked up generations ago speaking about our generation. So, pattern. All right, so, so let me just, let me start. I mean, I'm sort of following that pattern of what you've got there, but, but not everything. One of the reasons, so why is this really important? Well, one of the reasons is, if there were no other reason at all, because they are the host family that brought salvation to the whole world. So we should honor that man. I mean, I'll tell you, everybody who's, every Gentile in this room, I assume most of us are, who has come to faith, you've come to faith because somewhere back there, a Jewish person spoke to a Gentile about Jesus. Because this is all, the early believers were all Jewish. There wasn't a single Gentile among them. I mean, the, the 5,000, the 3,000 on Pentecost, later the 5,000, they were all Jews. There were no Gentiles then in the, in the kingdom. Then the, the door to the Gentiles was opened in, when Cornelius came. And so then they began to spread this good news about the Jewish Messiah who has become the world redeemer. And all the way through Old Testament scriptures, he was always going to, to God was always interested in the nations. But he had to choose a family through he came. So he chose a, fa chose a family. He chose Abraham. And to Abraham, he said, and this is Genesis, the 12th chapter, verses 2 and 3. He says, number one, Abraham, I'll make you a great nation. Number two, I'm not, not necessarily the order that, that are in the scripture, but number two, all the people of the earth will be blessed through you and your family. Number three, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Now, let me just stop right there for a moment. There, historically, we can prove that this is the case. I mean, for example, Egypt, way back there, turned against Israel. Has, Israel, has Egypt ever been a world power since then? Spain's navy ruled the world until King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella turned against the Jews, evicted them, killed them, stole their wealth, Spain, has Spain been a major country of the world since then? The sun never set on the British Empire. It was all over the world until they turned against Israel. Has Great Britain been a world power since then? America was good to the Jews for the most part. And we have come into tremendous blessing. We were dangerously close in the last president to turn against Israel because he was not kind to Netanyahu and some people. Whatever you think about our present president, he has put the embassy where it belongs because Israel, Jerusalem is the capital of Jerusalem. God made it so. So, I, but even personally, I believe one of the reasons I'm blessed it was because I caught hold of this and have started, started praying. I pray for Israel every single day. I, I, I can't imagine a day going by that I don't pray for the salvation of Israel. Because, and I'll get to that later, but I believe that we're living in the day when all the Jewish people are going to come to faith. All of them. I mean, will there be some that don't? Yeah, probably, but it may be a hyperbole in Romans 11. But I'm getting ahead of myself. But in Hosea, the third chapter, verses 4 and 5, Hosea says, and that's in your notes somewhere, but uh, Hosea says that the Israelites would not have a king for many days. They haven't had a king since 586 B.C. when Zedekiah was taken to Babylon and his eyes were put out. They wouldn't have a sacrifice for, seven, for many days. They haven't had a sacrifice since 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed. And then Hosea says afterward they will return trembling to the Lord and his blessing in the last days. Israel will return in the last days to the Lord. Now, I just, I have to pause and, 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 and give you my little thing here. I coupled that passage with Ephesians, the third chapter, verse 20, where Paul says, uh, to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or imagine. And I stop right there, and I put that word imagine with what I just read in Hosea 3. And I start imagining the day when Israel will come to faith in their Messiah. And I know, I mean, you hear about all these Things that are happening in the Muslim world, also in the Jewish world, where somebody has a revelation or a dream or a vision. I mean, there was a, there was a little village in Alger, Algeria where there were forgotten. Everybody in the, this happened, I've forgotten when it happened. It's in one of the books I wrote, but I've forgotten. I don't know what else in there. But, uh, 
but I remember. But in one night, everybody in the, vi- in, the, in, the, in the village had a revelation of Jesus. They got up the next morning and started talking about it, and the whole village turned to the Lord. And they found out that there was a missionary 500 years earlier that had been, that had been martyred in that city. The blood of the martyr suddenly <laughs> took fruit, and the whole village came to the Lord. All right, so I take things like that, or even Samah Habib, some of you know her, who wrote Face to Faith with, with Jesus, who, who, was, who, came, who was the first Muslim in her family to come to faith, and she was in a church building one day, and a bomb blew up right beside her and burned her to death, and she recovered. I mean, she, she was restored to life, has no scar except a little bit, and she's in Tel Aviv right now. She got her green card the other day, and so she, she, the first place she went is to Israel. So she's there. But she came to faith through the Lord revealing himself to her. So I put those two things together and I start imagining what it would happen if tonight every Jewish person in the world had a, revel- had a dream or a vision or an angelic visitation. And in the morning they get up and I imagine that there's a, a table somewhere where there's a Jewish man and his wife and his 16-year-old kid, son, and they're sitting at the table, and the son says at the breakfast table, Dad, Mom, I had the strangest dream last night. Jesus was in it. He's the Messiah. And the mother puts her hand over on the son's arm and says, Son, I had the same dream. And the dad says, I, I didn't know whether I was even going to tell you about this or not, but at 2 o'clock this morning, there was a brilliant light came into the room, and, and there was an angel there. And he said, you've been wrong. Jesus is the Messiah. We're going to have to go tell the rabbi. And so they go to the rabbi, and they sit down, and they start to tell the rabbi, and the rabbi says, You don't have to tell me why you've come. We've been wrong. Jesus is the Messiah. And suddenly, all the synagogues of the world are believing synagogues. See? Romans 11, 26 says all Israel will be saved. And so, anyway, I pull that together. And then, okay, back sort of to the notes. But God also told Abraham that this land, this certain land, would be given to him. And he specifies the land, where, the land where Israel is now. But he said, if you're not faithful to me, you'll be expelled from the land. So all those scriptures are in there. So they were. They were expelled from the land. And first of all, they went to Babylon, and, mo- and a lot of them came back. Then they went to Assyria. They didn't return. And then this passage in Luke 21, during the time of Jesus, he said... Luke 21, 20, this scripture's in there, in your notes. Uh, but anyway, in Luke 21, 20, Jesus said, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by the enemies, you will know that her, that her devastation is near, or, or that has come. Well, the Romans surrounded Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and Jerusalem in 70 AD. Then he said, the Jewish, this is, the Jewish people will be scattered to all the nations. So here again, they're expelled from their land because they didn't receive their Messiah. But they were always going to come back. But they were, and then he said, Jerusalem will be trodden on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is over. Now, Jerusalem was trodden on by Gentiles, the Romans, the Byzantines, the Mamelukes, the, the Arabs, the British, until 1967. When they became a nation in 1948, they didn't have Jerusalem. But in 1967, when all these nations were about to turn against Israel and wanting to wipe her off the map, Israel preempted a strike, destroyed, though they had a small air force, destroyed the entire Egyptian air force in one swing and took over and took Jerusalem back in 1967. So I believe the time of the Gentiles was fulfilled in 1967. Now, and it was 1967, that's the charismatic movement and the Jesus movement. What happened to the Jesus movement? Well, you had all these hippies that had overthrown all restraints, 
But when they got all the restraints overthrown, all of a sudden they didn't have anything. And so they started coming to Jesus. And a lot of these hippies were Jewish. And they started coming to Jesus. And they become what we then call the Jesus freaks. But there were Jewish people there. And pretty soon there are tens of thousands of Jewish people for the first time in history since the early centuries. In our generation, never before in history have so many Jewish come to faith as in our day. Not only hundreds of thousands. Here, former Soviet Union, the people that are, that are in Israel, small group proportionally, but they're going to be more. So, that I believe that was the time the Gentiles were. And here's the deal. I may have done this before you, with you before, but let me start over here, because then I'll do it the right way. The early church was totally Jewish. Everybody understand that, right? No Gentiles. Cornelius came in. And then all of a sudden you had Theophilus and you know, Titus and these Gentiles that became a part of it. And so for a, and so for a season you have a Jew-Gentile church, okay? The Jews and Gentiles working together, Paul and Barnabas going to the, to the Gentiles. And, and, but then the church became so anti-Jewish in Rome and other places that for 18 centuries they turned their backs on the Jewish people. We did not make them jealous. Romans 11, 11 says, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Romans 11, 30 to 32 says, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. In other words, it was God's intention all through the generations that Gentiles would live in such a way, loving Jewish people, and living in such a way that they would see that God is with you and they would return to the Messiah. But what do we do? The church persecuted the Jews. We told jokes about them. We, ex we exiled them. We confiscated their wealth. Now, I understand many of these people were not real Christians, maybe, but they were Christians as far as the world was concerned. Ferdinand and Isabel were Christians, Catholic Christians. Germany, Poland, Austria, they were Christian nations, 90-something percent of them baptized Christians, Lutheran and primarily Lutheran and Catholic. And they're the ones who put the Jews in the Holocaust, in the Holocaust chamber, they would die in the name of Christ. We were supposed to be making them jealous. And so for all those centuries, there were almost no Jewish people who came to faith. There would be an occasional one, like Benjamin Disraeli, who was prime minister of Israel at one time. Uh, Mendelssohn, Felix Mendelssohn and his dad were, were Jewish. But when they came to faith, both the church and the synagogue said, you're not Jewish anymore. You're a Christian. How absurd. A Japanese is not Japanese anymore because he's a Christian. He's a Japanese believer. And they're Jewish believers. But the church said, you're not Jewish anymore. And the synagogue said, you're not Jewish anymore. So the only thing they had to do was become a part of the Gentile church. And all future generations of their, of their descendants became Gentiles. And so there were no Jewish people for centuries. But that changed in 1967. And all of a sudden... Jewish people started to come in faith by the tens and hundreds of thousands. So now we have, uh, we have this happening in, in, in our generation. But, so they, so, all right, now, one of the prophecies through the centuries was that Jewish people would come back to the land. That was the first thing. Now, the passage that I look to, that's on your sheet there, that I always look to when I, talk, when I think about Jewish people coming to back to the land is Isaiah 43, 5, and 6. That's one I really love. I mean, there are lots of them that say, uh, he said, I like for this reason. Isaiah says that, that, he says, I will bring, God says, I will bring them back, I will bring you back to the land from the east and the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Okay. This, hear me, this is the first time in history that Jewish people have come back to their land from all four directions. One time they came back to the land from the south, Egypt. One time they came back to the land from the east, Babylon. Never before in history 
have the Jewish people come back to the land from the west and the north until today. So, one of the fellows that was, there was a Swedish man named Shell Schoberg, who read that passage in the early 80s, and he got a group of intercessors together, and they went to Moscow because he knew that there were a million more Russian Jews that were not being allowed to go back to their land. They were still in exile. So they went to Moscow, and they began to walk around Red Square declaring that the Jews are going to go back to Israel. And one of the things they said, there's a book written about it, one of the things they said is, you, 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 you beast of Soviet Union, release the Jews back to their land. God said it's going to happen. It is going to happen. You're going to release them in the name of Jesus. Well, within 10 years, communism faltered in Russia and one million Jewish people from the north went back to Israel. A fulfillment exactly of Isaiah, uh, of Isaiah 43, 5 and 6. Then he said, I'll say to the south, don't hold them back. Well, there was in Operation Solomon, there, the Ethiopian Jews were there and couldn't go back. They weren't allowed to go back. But for one very short period, Israel was allowed to bring these Ethiopian Jews back. So they got all these 747s and took all the seats out of them and packed Ethiopian Jews in there in this short period of time to get them back to the land. And there's an interesting passage over in Jeremiah 31.8. That's on your notes somewhere too, too, too also. But, uh, but Jeremiah 31.8 talks about when the Jewish people come back to the land, there will be pregnant women and women in labor. The Bible's very specific. And so they counted all these people. They were in one of the planes. There were over 1,000. But when they got to Tel Aviv, there were two more people than they started with. Now, how can that be? Two babies were born in flight. Fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, verse 8. And then I even like Isaiah 60, verse 8. I, I like that one because my friend Kurt Landry and some of his friends, when they read that, okay, let me pause, say it. I, when I was a kid, somebody told me that the Bible told about airplanes. And I said, that's so stupid. Whoever thought of that? But you know what? The Bible talks about airplanes. In Isaiah 60, verse 8, Isaiah says, or God says, who are these flying along like clouds, like doves to their nests? He didn't say, what is this? He said, who are these? He saw people flying, coming back to their nest. And so, Kurt Landry and some of his friends went to Washington and made a deal with, to lease a 747 to take to Moscow to fulfill that passage specifically that they would be a part of taking some of the Jews back from, from Russia. So anyway, so now, not only were they to go back to their land, but the passage that I turn to about their coming to faith is Isaiah 6, verses 8 through 13, because there Isaiah says, that he heard a voice from heaven saying, whom shall I send? And he said, here am I, send me. And, and God says, okay, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, okay, Isaiah, go tell Israel that her eyes are going to be closed and her heart hardened. I think Isaiah would like to have said, I wouldn't have volunteered if I'd known you were going to tell me that. Tell the nation, my nation, that her heart's going to be hardened? But Isaiah cries, how long? And God says, until the land is totally devastated, the fields ruined, and the houses deserted. Okay. For centuries, you know this, historically, Mark Twain was, Mark Twain was over there sometime during the century before last, I guess now. And it just, I mean, he's practically saw nobody. Fields are no longer ruined. The fields, the houses are not deserted. The land is not devastated. Devastated, so it is time biblically for Jewish people to come to faith. That's why I pray on the basis of that scripture every single day to bring, and I not only pray it, I declare it, that Jewish people are going to come to faith today in their Messiah. And there are. I was in synagogue in uh, uh, Knoxville uh, about a month ago, and there was a Jewish man there who was, I would have to say he's probably 75 or 80, between 75 and 80. 
he came to faith two years ago out of an orthodox, out of orthodoxy. It's still happening. And so that's the kind of thing that, that's, that, is, that will be happening. Now, when they come to faith, then, all right, let me go back to Romans 11, 12, and Romans 11, 15. When they come to faith, it will trigger world revival. I believe the reason why China is having such a massive revival with some of the, some of the leaders we talked to, with as many as 175 million believers, is because it's prophetically time for the nations to come to faith. Why did South Korea have the largest church in the world? I don't know if it's still that big or not, but at one point it was 750,000. Multiple assemblies where you 35 and 40,000 a day, all day long, but they, all of them were in cell groups, all of them. That's why they could have such a big church, because the work was done out there in the small groups. And they were to gather together for worship. Why? Because the Jews are back. Now, you, you may think, well, when you think Iran, you probably think, well, that's the worst, you know, terrorist nation of the world. Yes, probably is today. But do you know what? There are millions of believers in Iran. I've talked to two of them that live in Kiev, Ukraine. One of them has a publishing company and published and translated and published the Your People Shall Be My People book in Farsi and in Arabic and put it free on the internet. So there is, so why is that happening? There are, the, oh, five years ago or so, I read something that, that estimated there were at that point seven to eight million believers in Iran. So why is this revival going? Because it's time. Because if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? They're coming, if it's time, it's time, therefore, this kind of revival to come. So now, if this happens, here's, here's what happens then. As Jewish people come to faith, they come into the fullness of their destiny, which is Isaiah 42.6 and 49.6, to be a light to the world. And when they come into the fullness of when the Jewish people massively come into faith, and basically all the Jewish people of the world are believers, and I think it could happen in my lifetime, and I'm not 35. I'm still praying that it'll happen in my lifetime. I want to see it. I'm like, uh, I was, I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm a simian. If I can just see them all come to faith, then I'll say, Lord, now you can let your servant depart because my eyes have seen what I saw in my spirit all these years. I want to see all of Israel coming to faith. But when they do, they come into their destiny of being a light to the nations. And that passage over in Zechariah, the 8th chapter, verse 23, happens where Gentiles start going to a Jew, 10 of them, and pulling on the robe of a Jew, on the coat of a Jew, and say, we heard God's with you. Tell us about him. And they they spontaneously become believers, and then when they do that, then we all together become the one new man, the one person that God had prophesied of Jew-Gentile living together. So, when I, so Jewish totally at first, then Jews and Gentiles, then centuries of Jew, Gentiles, but now we're no longer living in the Gentile world. We're living in the time of Jew-Gentile together. And, and then we're going back to the time when, yes, as Joel, was it Joel Richardson wrote the book, When a Jew Rules the World? It's really true. There's a Jewish man going to come back and rule the world from Jerusalem. And it's Jesus. His name, he's still Jewish. He's at the right hand of the Father. And so we, we become then that one new man. So you understand why it's important that we pray for Israel daily. We're commanded to do so. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Todd and I both had, in one of our sessions in Sri Lanka, he had a woman come up to him. I had a man come up to me. And he said, after we had spoken to them, and we're sharing this kind of message, and this man said to me, you know what? I've been praying for the peace of Jerusalem for years. But the other night I said, Lord, I don't know why I'm doing this. I know you told me to. That's why I'm doing it. But why am I praying for the peace of Jerusalem? He said, tonight you told me why. And so there are people all over the world that are doing this, but they really don't know why they're doing it. So though, you, you see why it's important for us 
to love Jewish people, make them jealous, show them mercy, they're not always easy to love. You know why? Because they don't trust us. Because we're the ones that threw them in the gas chambers. They think Christians are their enemies. So you have to push through that. There's, there's, there's a reason why the Israelis, the native Israelis, call themselves sabra. The word means cactus, prickly on the outside, but soft in the middle. You have to get through that, that edge. You remember that I, I probably told you, I, at, at a cafe over in Green Hills one day, I walked in and this little Jewish lady was sitting over with some Belmont ladies, and she motioned to me, come over. And when I got there, she said, are you trying to convert all the Jews? I said, oh, no. We're the ones who converted. If you hadn't kept faith in the one true God alive, we'd all still be worshiping sticks and stones. We were the pagans. You just go, go back to your synagogue, just tell them about your Messiah. You don't even have to leave the synagogue. Just tell all them about your Messiah. We worship your Messiah. See, the best way to talk to Jewish people is, we worship your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is your book. It was written by Jews. Possible exception of Luke, but he may even have been a Jew. But the rest of the, all the books were written by Jews. This is a Jewish book. And we've been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap of the olive root. Now, so, <laughs> so, Romans 11. By no, I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means. This is the Apostle Paul talking, sort of. I'm an Israelite myself, he says. A descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. What was God's answer to him? I've reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So also at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. And if it's grace, it's no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. And what then? What Israel so earnestly sought, it did not obtain. But the elect did. The others were hardened. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, and ears so that they could not hear to this present day. And David says, May their table be a snare and a trap, a, a stumbling block and a retribution to them. May their eyes be darkened so they can't see in their back bent forever. So again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will the fullness bring? I'm talking to Jewish Gentiles. And as much as I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough that's offered as first fruits is holy, the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, were grafted into the the olive tree, and now share in the nourishing sap of the olive root. Do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You don't support the root, but the root supports you. And you'll say, well, some of the branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. If God did not spare the natural branches, he'll not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell and kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you'll be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that's wild by nature, and contrary to nature... We're grafted into a cultivated olive tree. 
how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery so that you'll not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on the count of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy upon them all. Oh, the riches, the wisdom, the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. His paths are past tracing out. Who's known the mind of God? Who's been his counselor? Who's ever given to God that God should repay him? From him, to him, and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. <laughs> I was, I was going to say your homework is to read Romans 11, but it just got eloquently given to you. So, um, uh, Papa Don, stay up here because I, I want to um, have an opportunity f uh, for us to, to pray for you and then for you to pray over us. So, um, I want to just say again, here's something that's kind of striking on my heart uh, on this, with respect to this message, is that uh, we can see with clarity from Scripture, God is not finished with the Jewish people, that we have, by grace, been grafted in, uh, as was so eloquently said, as, as the Scripture tells us, we've been brought into this faith. Um, he's not finished, and he is... Uh, intent on drawing his people, his original covenant people, into relationship with him. And what that will mean is greater riches for the world. What that means to me in a very practical way, and what I want to just say to you is this. Every one of us right now has someone we're asking God to bring into his family. We know people that are far away we have people, we have loved ones that are a million miles from God. They don't want to have anything to do with God. And what I'm believing is this, that as we sow in, as we lay our hearts down, as we give, as we bless, uh, what God is doing uh, in his covenant people, Israel, as we sow to that, we're also asking God. It's, it's almost a prophetic step to say, God, would you touch those that are far from you? God, we're asking that you would draw all men to yourself, that God, as the Jewish nation comes to know you as their Messiah, you're, the, you're their Messiah, as, as God, you do that, Lord, would you draw those that we know that don't know you, would you draw them as well? It's an investment into what we believe God wants to do in our families and with our friendships and coworkers and everything else. We're eager to see Israel receive their Messiah, all right, so that the world will come to him. And so I want us to uh, pray. If you guys would, just stand with me. And I'm gonna ask uh, Hunter and Mindy and Judah, would you guys come over here? They're a part of the Caleb Company staff. If there's any other want staff, you guys can come up here as well. Uh, but I want... Uh, these guys uh, partner with, of course, uh, Don is the founder of Caleb Company and their ministry to the Jewish people, just wanting the Jewish people to see their Messiah, to receive and be ready for this influx of um, Jewish people to become followers of Yeshua, Jesus. And so uh, what I want us to do is just take a moment. I'm going to pray. And if you feel comfortable, you might just extend a hand to them. 
uh, toward them. Um, and, uh, and in fact, uh, Bob, would you come up and just lay hands? Megan, would you come up as well? I just want to lay hands. If you feel comfortable, you might extend a hand. I'm going to pray that God would bless their ministry. We're going to be a church that blesses Israel and asks God regularly to draw his people to himself um, in Christ. And then I'm going to let Don pray uh, a, a blessing over us as we go. So, Father, we ask right now in Jesus' name, we, we together as a church, Lord, we bless your work uh, in this ministry. We thank you for donning for Caleb Company, God, and your plan and purpose, the prophetic insight that they have, Lord, to ready God's people for the influx of Jewish believers, those that believe in the name. Of Yeshua, I ask God right now that you would give them everything they need. You'd provide them with every resource as they minister uh, to the Jewish people, as they lift up the name of Jesus among the Jewish people. God, would you bring blessing? Would you bring resource? Would you bring every uh, ounce of wisdom they need? Lord, every conversation, uh, every time they step out to share the love of Jesus, with the Jewish people, I ask God that there would be vision doors, Lord, uh, as Don was describing, God, I ask for dreams and visions, signs and wonders, Lord, to be displayed to the Jewish people that they might say yes to you, they might come uh, on their knees before you, crying out, uh, maybe even just with tears, I even see just a picture of tears, finally seeing Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, the Messiah, and coming to him with glad hearts, with sincere faith. God, would you do that uh, all over Israel, Lord, right now? And But I, got, I, I ask very specifically for Caleb Company, God, would you give them uh, straight paths to walk through? Would you allow them open doors to the declaration of Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, and all all of Israel. God, we bless you and we thank you for their ministry. We thank you for their hearts. God, and right now, even as we pray for them, we lift up those that do not know you yet. Just even in your own heart, would you just begin to name? You have friends and family that don't yet know Christ. And as we sow into the Jewish people, we're also believing a massive harvest of gen the Gentile nations coming to believe in Jesus Christ because Israel finally received their Messiah. God, would you, right now, would you touch them? Fathers and brothers and mothers and daughters and sons all over, God, we're asking that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, may they come to know you in droves, God. For those that seem like it would be impossible to come to know Christ as uh, Lord, King, and Savior, right now we're asking, God, would you draw them to yourself? Would you bring them in? I'm asking for every person that's represented here knows people that do not know Jesus as their Lord, King, and Savior. I'm asking, God, that you would do that. We partner with you for your purposes on the earth. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Now, if you'll uh, say, now we get to receive. <laughs> this is the good part. All right, well, I love, we love getting to sow in, but we're gonna have Don uh, just pray a blessing of maybe the ironic benediction over us and, and bless us uh, as we go. You know, one of the things that, uh, when, I, when I started praying about, there was one thing that came to me that, this is not like me, but I felt like there's somebody that uh, has migraine headaches. The Lord just might want to heal you today. And if you do, just raise your hand and let some people around you just put hands on you. And uh, Raise yeah, it high so yeah. we can see because we're going to yeah, put our hands come on, on let's, you. Let's, let's just put hands just on a, them. And just come this, around. This may be the day. That's, that's I'd, yeah. Mom. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Yes. I, I actually, just as a testimony, I had migraine headaches years earlier, and uh, the Lord released me, and I haven't had as much as even a headache in 30 wow. years. Not a headache, in 30 years. Yeah. So, yeah. Lord, we, uh, we first of all just put our hands on these. You said believers would put hands on the sick and they'd recover, and migraine headaches is not from you. That is not from you. It's from the enemy. So we, in the authority of Jesus... Bind that from our brothers and sisters and ask you to release them into full health, full energy, full joy where they don't have to fight this and get rid of, Lord, of every kind of tension, every kind of stress that in any way is bringing this on, that they will supernaturally have faith to walk forward and that 
that they will rejoice and give testimony of who you are and what you've done. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I just, I, I, I'd like to tell you before I pray this benediction, it's, I, I believe it, I believe the, the Hebrew that we know is the closest we know to what God himself gave to Moses, who was to give to Aaron, and with which he was to bless all future generations of Israel. It's not, there's no other, there's no other blessing like it in scripture. And since we are all grafted into Israel, it now also belongs to us. Not, not to cut us off from Israel, but we are a part of that, and so we can come into this blessing. And the Lord said, when you bless Israel with this, I will put my name on them. So when I pray this, I believe God will put his name on you. That there's some, I mean, that's, I don't know what it means, but I believe there's some kind of energy that's going to go forth. It says, though God himself is putting his hand upon you and blessing you. And so I'm going to say it in, in English, say it in Hebrew, and then chant in Hebrew. I don't know why chanting seems to have such a, an effect, but it does. It's what's done in the synagogues. So may the Lord bless you. And I always like to say, when I say that, he's the only one who can. If we bless, it's because he blesses us. We have the energy of God. And may he keep you. And I like that because it means he keeps me. He's kept me. He's going to keep me. I trust him. And may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you, which pour out grace and power. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Yevarechacha Adonai v'yishmerecha. Ya'er Adonai panavalecha v'yichonecha. Yisa Adonai panavalecha v'yesemlecha shalom. Yevarechacha Adonai v'yishmerecha. Ya'er Adonai panavalecha v'yichonecha. Yisa Adonai panavalecha v'yesemlecha shalom. B'shem Yeshua HaMashiach Sar Shalom. In the name of Jesus, the Messiah, Prince of Peace. And the congregation said, Amen. 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 Love you guys. Be blessed. We'll see you. Sun.